0: Welcome. Welcome to everybody watching online, everybody in person, and especially in our overflow. Thank you for being with us. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. I'm Greg. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to bring the word to you this morning. I'm excited about that. And I want to start off by asking you to think with me. Think, what is the single greatest word ever? What is the single greatest word ever? Is it serendipity? I like that word. Is it a Smorgasbord? board, Smorgasbord? I can't even say it. Is it doppelganger? Omnematopeia? What is the single greatest word ever? Well, thanks to a man named Ted McCagg, he runs a blog called Questionable Skills, and over the course of several months, he went through this painstaking process of finding the best word ever. And the way he went about it was he went through the entire dictionary And he picked about 20 to 30 words of the best words for each letter. For example, for the letter H, here were the finalists for the letter H. He put them in brackets for all to see his conclusions. And he had them compete against one another. And of course, Hobnob beat out Hump. And Hullabaloo beat out Hootenanny. And so forth and so forth. He had them compete. And the the one that took the W for the H category was Hornswoggle. Hornswoggle is the best H word in the English language. Well, he did this for every single letter, and to spare you all the details, and in the spirit of March Madness, let me give you the final four. Are you ready for the final four? Here's the final four. They are gherkin, kerfuffle, diphthong, and Hornswoggle. Obviously, these are the four greatest words, and so he narrowed them down to the final two, gherkin and diphthong when he was asked why why did diphthong beat out hornswoggle he said well obviously that silent h in diphthong makes all the difference and to that i would say alleluia right alleluia for those silent h's well i'm going to give you a chance if you're online go ahead and write in the chat which you think between the two is the better word is it gherkin Or is it diphthong? If you guys are here in person, I want everybody to vote. Show of hands. What do you think it is? If you think gherkin is the better word, raise your hand. How many? Okay. Around 23% of you think gherkin is the better word. How about diphthong? Is diphthong the better word? The majority of you say diphthong. I'm guessing that's what it was online. The best word ever. Can I get a drum roll, please? Okay, thank you. The best word ever is diphthong. You guys who got it correct, you are weird. Thank you very much for participating. Diphthong, according to Ted McCag, is the greatest word ever. And he will admit to you that his process is completely unscientific and entirely based on his own opinion. It was totally just for fun. I thought it was interesting. But this morning, I want to share with you today what I truly believe is the greatest word ever. And it's not based on my own opinion, even though it's become my opinion, but I am basing it on the greatness of its impact. And it is the word tetelestai. Tetelestai. Everybody say it with me one time. Say, tetelestai. Tetelestai. One more time. Tetelestai. 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 It means in the English... It is finished. It is finished. As Pastor Dave just mentioned, we've been in the series called Last Words. And we're looking at the seven last sayings of Jesus as he hung there on the cross. He uttered out seven different sayings. And if you remember what Pastor Gary taught a couple weeks ago, one of the sayings was Jesus crying out, I thirst. And the Psalms tells us that he was so thirsty that his tongue was stuck to his jaw. And when we do that, you you can barely speak. It's not comprehensible. And so he's saying, I thirst, partly because he was thirsty, but we also believe he needed to say a couple more things before he gave up his spirit. And today I want to share with you those two final things, those two final sayings of Jesus comes from John chapter 19 and Luke 23. In John chapter 19, verse 30, if you have your Bibles, it says this. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, to tell us, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Then Luke tells us in chapter 23, verse 46 Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And it was with these final sayings that Jesus Christ finally gave up his spirit. And his life there on the cross. Well, today I want to zoom in and focus on this word, which I believe is the greatest word in all of eternity to tell us To tell us J.C. Ryle says this about it. He says, It is surely not too much to say that of all the seven famous sayings of Christ on the cross, none is more remarkable than to tell us A.W. Pink, he was an author and Bible teacher. He said, eternity will be needed to make manifest all that Tetelestai contains. And Charles Spurgeon, he's known as the Prince of Preachers. He says this about the word. He says, it has an ocean of meaning in a drop of language, a mere drop. And it would need all the other words that ever were spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word, Tetelestai. I know who I am, I know I don't have the words eloquent or articulate enough to convey the greatness of this word, but I know the Holy Spirit, he can help us understand the weight of this word. So let's turn to him, would you guys pray with me and let's invite him to teach us now. Uh, Father God, we thank you, as we do every day, we thank you for this food, both the food you give us physically and spiritually thank you for daily bread and we pray that we wouldn't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god to tell us die was a word that came from the very mouth of the son of god as he hung on the cross and i pray that we wouldn't let that fly over our heads that we wouldn't let it pass by too quickly and i pray that in this moment we would stop and that you would show us the gravity of this word, that you would show us the weight of this word and what it means for us today, how it radically changes our lives, impacts us, and gives us great hope for all eternity. So, Lord, we give this time to you. I pray that nothing I say, no words that come out of my mouth, would be meaningful or deemed successful or shared very far, unless they're true. And from you and if they are i pray that you would take it and plant it deep in our hearts and let us share it to the ends of the earth so we pray these things in jesus name we all say amen amen it is finished it is finished the question is what is it if it is finished, what is it? And I want to answer that in two ways today. And the first is this if you have your notes, and by the way, I encourage you if online or in person, have a notebook. We don't have outlines right now, but have a notebook or a journal so we can start taking notes and, and go back and look over these things. But here's the first thing I want to share with you it is the work of the Father. It is the work of the Father. Now, I don't know what's up with my kids. My kids, I have three of them, Evan, Karis, and Aranea. They do not like to eat. They do not like to finish their meals. And they didn't get that from mommy or daddy because Monica and I, we are eaters. We are eaters. I was one of those kids who grew up and I finished my bowl. I did not just finish everything on my bowl. I would lick the bowl. Do we have any bowl liquors in here? Can I get an amen? My brother, thank you so much. I would, when no one was looking, I would lick my bowl to get every last bit of rice, every last bit of sauce because food was so good for me. You would look at my, my, my middle school picture. You would look at me and say, that boy definitely is a bowl liquor." I love food. And yet my kids, especially my daughters, hate to finish their meals. And almost every day, this is a daily occurrence, we'll, we'll, we'll go back and forth and they'll come up to me and they'll say, Daddy, can I be done? Can I be done? Can I go? And I'll look at their plate and it's full of food. And we'll go back and forth. I'll say, no, you have to eat. No, can I be done? And then I'll finally concede and I'll settle and I'll say, okay, look, eat half of that and you could be done. Or just show me five more bites, and then you can go. And then they go, and they'll eat that half, or they'll eat those five bites, and they'll come back all happy, and they'll say, Dad, I'm done. I'm finished. And they'll do that five bites, and I'll say, okay, you can go. But that's the excitement. I'm finished. I I, I can go now. And I want to say their idea of being finished is not the essence of Tetelestai. To that back in the day when a, a, a servant or slave was given a task to do and he went out and he fully completed perfectly fulfilled the task that the master gave him it was said that that servant would then go to the master and say to that," meaning i have completely finished the work i have fully accomplished that which you have given me to do to that it is finished it is finished And so when when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is so important to to know that when he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. It was not the cry of a victim. It was the cry of a victor. It wasn't the cry of defeat. It was the cry of divine accomplishment. Father, I have finished exactly what you have given me to do. It's not him on the cross saying, can I go now? It's not not him barely finishing the task. It's not him barely getting by. It is him saying, I have finished the work. John 17, verse 4 and 5. Just a couple chapters earlier, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says this. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence With the glory I had with you before the world began. It is finished. What is it? It is the work of the Father. The plan of the Master before time even began. In the Old Testament, throughout time, the Father was making known this plan to send a Messiah. There's been around 300 prophecies of how there would be this Savior, this Messiah who would come, and these servants that God used throughout history would tell and announce the Father's plan of how this Messiah would come, why he would come, how he would live, the manner in which he would go, and they all told of the Master's plan. So you open up your Bibles, you go all the way back to Genesis, and Moses tells us how this Messiah is going to come from the seed of Abraham. And he's going to be a blessing to the nations. And then Nathan in 2 Samuel tells us how the one who comes from Abraham will specifically come from the house of David. He's going to establish a throne forever. And Isaiah tells us that that this Messiah, he's going to be born of a virgin. Micah tells us that this virgin will be born in Bethlehem. Esau tells us that this one born of Abraham is going to born in Bethlehem is going to teach in parables. Isaiah tells us that the one who teaches in parables will also be a miracle worker. And we learn that, that, that Isaiah tells us that this miracle worker will do many things. Zachariah tells us that he will ride into Jerusalem ultimately on a humble donkey. And there he will be sold for 30 pieces of silver. David tells us, that none of his bones will be broken. Even though Moses told us back in Numbers that he will be lifted up, foreshadowing the cross, David says, but none of his bones will be broken. And then he tells us in Psalm 22 that though no bones are broken, he will be pierced. And he will be scorned. And lots will be casted for his clothes, and he will thirst. And then Isaiah tells us that he will be wounded. But he also says that by his wounds we will be healed. And that through him, salvation will go to the ends of the earth. And so when Jesus hangs on the cross, we know that he fulfills not just all of these that I mentioned, but hundreds more about his coming. Then now we realize the greatness of his cry, to telesty. It isn't, I kind of sort of fulfilled some of these, Father, can I go now? It's not, I, I, I did half of these, may I be dismissed? No, it is, I have completely, perfectly fulfilled the work that you gave me to do. I have accomplished your work. I've brought you glory. It is finished. And so now I will go. And into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. It isn't, I kind of sort of fulfilled these. It is done. Figuratively speaking, Father, I've licked the bowl full of your promises and prophecies. Every last bit, it is finished. I remember the first time I ever preached the gospel, it was 2003. And it was to a room full of men at the Long Beach Rescue Mission. First time I ever shared the gospel. And I remember sharing this story that I thought was perfect for helping people understand what Christ did for us. It was a story of a guy named John Griffith back in, in uh, during the time of the Great Depression in the, in the US, 1920s. And everybody was losing their jobs and there was a big you know, crisis in the economy and he was so blessed to have found a job as a drawbridge operator on the Mississippi River. And, and to John, he was a young man, but his family was everything to him. His eight-year-old son was like the apple of his eye, his joy. And so he, he had dreams that one day his eight-year-old son would grow up to be able to, to have a family and to care for them as well. And so John, as a drawbridge operator, you know, there on the Mississippi River, his job was to, to, to push the lever and to pull the lever to let the bridge come down so that trains can cross over the river or he would pull that lever so that the bridge would come up so that ships below can, can float on by. And so he brought his little boy, his 8-year-old son, to work with him one day to show him what daddy does. And his son was just mesmerized. Wow! Daddy pulls that lever and that huge bridge comes down. And the trains go by and Daddy pulls that lever and the bridge comes up and all those ships go by. Daddy has so much control. And they're having such a good time that day. Then it came lunchtime. And John and his eight-year-old son went out on the catwalk and they sat down to have lunch as they watched all the boats and the ships in in the river float by. And they were having so much fun that time flew by. They had lost track of time. All of a sudden, they were startled by the blow of a whistle in the near distance. And John looks up, and he realizes here comes the Memphis Express, full of 400 passengers right on schedule. And so John jumps up, and he runs to the control room, and, he, and he's got to let the bridge down just in time for the train to come by. But as he's about to pull that lever, he hears a faint cry in the distance. And, and so he steps out of the control room to look where that cry is coming from, and his worst fear became reality as he realizes that his son had fallen off of the catwalk. And looking down, he could see blood on his son's leg as it was caught in the large gear cogs of that drawbridge. And John knew that he only had time to make one decision, to do one thing or the other, to to rescue his son from those gear cogs, or to rescue the people who would otherwise perish. And in that split second, in a heart wrenching moment, he had to make a decision. And he pulled that lever, knowing that his son would be crushed, but all the people would be saved. And I remember sharing that story, whether it's a true story or an allegory, I thought it was a perfect picture of what the gospel is about. A father who had to make a choice between his son or the lives of the people. And, and as I shared that, thinking it was a perfect story, today when I, when I think about this word tetelestai and the greatness of the word tetelestai, I realized there's a fault in that analogy. And it's a good story, and I'll still tell it, but there's a fault in the analogy because I realized, see, look, Jesus didn't come because of some kind of terrible accident. He wasn't the result of some cosmic accident where things didn't go as planned. And these weren't according to the master's plan, and we now have to go to plan B where the father now has to make a choice between his son and the people. No, this is still plan A. And Jesus came to fulfill plan A. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came and he died on purpose. According to the Father's purposes. He came to die so that we may live. This was the master plan. This was the master's plan. And it is finished. It is finished. It is the work of the Father, the fulfillment of the law, the completion of prophecy. And Jesus pursued it and he finished it and he cried out to tell us die. So what is it? what is it? It is the work of the Father. But let, let me give it to you more specifically. Write this down from number 2. It is the payment for our sin. Number 2, it is the payment for our sin. It, it, it was also a commonly used term, tetelestai, in marketplace transactions. When a loan was, was, was fulfilled, when it was paid off or a debt was cleared, they would often get a receipt and it would be stamped tetelestai. And it came to be understood as the debt is fully paid. Fully paid. The debt is paid off. And that's interesting because we know in Romans 3.23 that what? that the wages of sin is death. The payment for your sin and my sin is is death. And if you go to the Old Testament, you look at the Levitical law back in Leviticus, you could read this in chapter four and even five, we'll learn that when a person sinned, okay, imagine you're there, you're living there in that Israelite community, when a person sinned, they would have to pay for that sin. Like literally, you you would have to buy an animal to bring to the temple to sacrifice. And that animal probably wasn't cheap because it said it had to be without blemish, it had to be perfect. Like think about like a show dog, right? Uh, something that's very presentable, not a stray dog, not one that's sick or, or ugly or, or crippled. It had to be a beautiful, perfect, without blemish animal. And for us, it would probably be a lamb or a goat and you would bring it. And because you were the one who sinned, you were the one responsible For taking the life of that animal, you would have to lay your hand on the head of that animal, symbolizing the transfer of your sin or your guilt off of you onto that lamb. Now, stop and think about that for a moment because I know for me, I often gloss over this, talking about sacrifices in the Bible, and I gloss over it, but stop and let that soak in for a bit. Have you ever had to kill an animal? with four legs, with your hands? I'm not talking about from a long distance. I'm talking about with your hands. Have you ever had to kill an animal? I haven't. Can you imagine the sensory overload? When you're there engaged in that bloody ritual, every one of your senses are being impacted by this thing going on right now. right The, the sound of that animal crying or shrieking as you're trying to hold it down The the feel of it wrestling, trying to get out of your arms and you having to to hold it there. Maybe even breaking its bones. I don't know. The sight of its blood being drawn by your very hands. You probably had to use some sharp object to to draw its blood. The smell of raw flesh being burnt up on the altar. Could could you do that? And And I put myself there. Man, I was watching a K-drama not too long ago, and there's this one scene where the guy was given a chicken and told to wring the chicken's neck, and I could not watch it. It was, it was a chicken, and, and this is an actor, a, a non-fictional character with a stage prop on the other side of a screen telling a fake story, and I could not watch it. Like, I literally turned my head and closed my eyes at the thought that he was going to break the chicken's neck. Now, could I do that in person? I think of if it were modern day, would I be able to take a beautiful animal like a golden retriever or a German shepherd? And I couldn't. Like, it would be so traumatic for me. Even if I had no emotional connection to that animal, can you imagine the emotional impact, the spiritual impact of having to go through that and taking this animal's life? For what? For what good reason? Because of your sin, because of my sin, it was bringing about the necessity for that animal's death. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And some of us, especially if you're an animal lover, it's like, what did that animal do? Why, why does God need us to do that to animals? Like, what did they do? What did they do wrong? What did the lamb do wrong? And that's the point. He did nothing wrong. He did absolutely nothing wrong. The lamb is without blame. But he is dying and shedding his blood in your place. That's why we call it a sacrifice. He did nothing wrong. But his blood is shed so that yours wouldn't have to be. Now imagine the frustration of knowing that once this horrific ordeal is over, that you'd probably be back tomorrow. Or maybe the next week, because you're going to sin again. And you'd have to do this to provide temporary covering for your sin. Now, if you think that's bad for for the one having to do it, for you, if you had to do it, think about the priest's. Think about the priest's job. Would you want to be a priest because he had to be involved in you killing that animal? Because the priest would have to come, according to Leviticus 4, he would have to take the blood, drain the rest of the blood from the animal that you killed. He would have to pour it at the altar, and then he would have to go back in. He would have to do the hard work of skimming all the fat off of the entire animal. Then he would burn it as an aroma to the Lord, as a sacrifice, as a temporary covering for your sin. And after he is finally done with all of that, then he's on to the next person. And when you kill he has to do that same thing for you. And then when he was done with yours, he would go to you. And then he would do the whole thing for you. Then he would go to Ernie and do the whole thing for Ernie. And then when he thinks he's finally done, finally got all, through all those sacrifices, he turns and it's like, you're back again, Mark? (laughs) Why? Because it wasn't before long you were back in line. And because our sins are consistent, and these sacrifices were never sufficient. The priest's job was always constant. It was never done. We know that from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Here's what it says. It says in verse 11 and 12, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ, circle that word but, because that's significant. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you underline that last line? He sat down at the right hand of God. I love this. When every other priest was constantly on his feet, constantly at work, constantly at work to to provide temporary forgiveness of our sins, what does it say? Jesus sat. Why? Because it is finished. It is finished. He is at the same time our great high priest who stands before us, but he is also our perfect sacrifice the lamb of god and he settled it once and for all you could go ahead and put a stamp over your life to telestai it is fully paid your debt has been paid off it is finished so what is it it is the work of the father it is the payment for our sin no more sacrifices needed No more blood needs to be shed. It is finished. Amen? Amen. So what do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with this? Let let me finish by giving you some insight to this word finished. The word finished in the Greek is actually the word teleo. Teleo means to finish, to complete, or to fulfill. So what, what in the world is tetelestai? I thought "to meant that. Well, no. "To is the word "teleo," but it's written in the perfect indicative. Now, I know this is going to sound like some Greeky geek stuff, and it is, right? But bear with me here. "To is written in the perfect indicative. What, what, what does all that mean? Well, when something's written in the perfect tense, what it's telling us is that that action was completed in the past, but its results are still having its effect today. It's ongoing. Happened in the past, but it's still effective today. So, for example, I have a good friend who retired on March 1st of this month. March 1st was his retirement date. He retired on that day, but its effects, the results of that are ongoing. Today, he's retired. Tomorrow, he's retired. Ten years from now, he remains retired. And he's enjoying the effects of that retirement that happened on March 1st. So, completed in the past ongoingly impactful, effective to the present. So when Jesus cries out to Telestai, it's telling us that it was finished on that day on the cross. He finished the work when he hung on the cross, but its power and its results and its effects still benefit us today and tomorrow and the day after that, and 10 years from now. So listen, whatever you did when you were eight, and however you sinned this morning at eight, and whatever you do eight years from today, it is finished. It's been forgiven. It's been paid for. Everything we ever do from this point forward is covered by the grace of God. It is finished. No work needs to be done. The work is finished. No blood needs to be paid. The payment is complete. Completed on the cross, effective today and forevermore. So what's our takeaway? What do we take away from this? Can I make a suggestion and can I challenge you, church? Start worshiping him today. In fact, write this down. This is the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. The work is finished. Let worship begin. The work is finished. Let worship begin. And when I say worship, I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about living. I'm talking about breathing. I'm talking about singing. I'm talking about speaking. I'm talking about sharing. I'm talking about loving. Whatever you do, let it all be done as your worship to to Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain for you and for me, who paid it all on the cross. Let it all be done as worship. Let's turn from our sin. And sin no more, and let's live for Him. He died for you, so live for Him. The work is finished; let worship begin today. A couple years ago, my my family and I we got to spend a week up north at a summer conference called Mount Hermon up in Santa Cruz. And I know some of you here are familiar with Mount Herman, and it was a great week at the camp and. At the end of the camp, when we were about to drive down to L.A., we were told by many people at the camp, you have to stop by the steakhouse on the central coast called Jocko's. You have to stop by Jocko's. It has the best ribeye. And I'm a ribeye guy. I love ribeye. My wife loves a good ribeye as well. I told you at the beginning of this message that we're eaters. We're eaters. So we weren't going to pass up this opportunity. And so when we drove into town, and we got to Jocko's, we went to town. I mean, we, we really, we ordered, and we weren't going to hold back because this was going to be a special treat. We ordered the, the soup and the salad and the sides, the appetizers, we got our sodas. And most importantly, I got my Spencer ribeye. My Spencer ribeye that was cooked over a red oak pit. And, and my wife got the Spencer as well. And we ordered our kids their, their, their meals. And we, we just went and we enjoyed that meal. We weren't going to hold back. Well, later in that uh, evening, the the waitress comes to our table, and she says, your meal has been paid for. She says, somebody called in, gave us their credit card number, and the entire meal has been paid for. And our jaws dropped. Like, what? Because we ordered a lot. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we went to town. I'm not even joking. We ordered a lot. That everything's been covered, the this, the this, this soup, the salad, the sides, the appetizers, the sodas, everything we ordered, everything we had eaten up to that point had been paid for. So how do you think we responded when we knew that everything was going to be covered? So can I get an ice cream and a lava cake and a tiramisu and a cocktail, please? Right? No, no. At that point, we were so deeply thankful, even if I wanted cake, if I had room for a cake, I wasn't going to take advantage of the graciousness that had been shown to us. Like, we are so thankful. How can you pay for all this? I'm not going to take advantage anymore. And so my wife and I immediately were texting the person, thanking them from our, from our hearts, and we're talking about how do we, how do we pay them back? How, 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 do, how, do we, how, do, how do we respond to this grace that's been shown to us? Jesus died for you. It's been fully paid. And so Paul tells us in Romans 6, 1 and 2, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we take advantage of the grace that's been shown to us and continue comfortably sinning? He died for you, so live for him. The work is finished. Let worship begin. So listen, if you've struggled with pornography, sexual addiction, if you've fallen into sexual immorality, confess your sins, receive his grace, but start walking in purity before the Lord. If you've cheated anybody financially, competitively, maritally, confess that before the lord it's been paid for but start walking in integrity in faithfulness in honesty before the lord and before others if you've acted out of your jealousy or your envy you've coveted your neighbor confess that and know that it's covered but now walk before the lord and know that your worth is in him. Find your value in Christ Jesus. If you made mistakes out of your anger or your hatred or your frustration or your impatience, confess that, receive his grace, know that it's been paid for, but now experience his joy, his love, his peace, his patience. The work is finished. So let worship begin. He died for you. Let's live for him. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow your heads and let's pray. Father God, thank you so much to tell us that it's finished. And thank you so much that you did the work so that we don't have to. And I pray that we would really let this soak in and i pray that far beyond today we would be deeply impacted we would feel the weight of what that means i pray that you would help us to sin no more just kind of like you told that woman caught in adultery you didn't judge her you showed her grace but you told her now go and sin no more and i pray that we would we would do that we would worship you with our lives we would see that you're worth it and so Lord thank you so much for the work on the cross I want to give you a moment as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed there may be some of you maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here in this room and you've never put your faith in Jesus And you don't know if the things that you've done in the past has been forgiven or not. You're listening today by the grace of God because he wants to tell you it's paid, it's finished. He took care of that on the cross if you would just receive that. And the Bible says in, in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning that he died for you and now he's alive, you will be saved. That will apply to you. Your sins will be covered. And so I want to lead you in a prayer right now, a confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. And so I'll pray a prayer out loud. You could just pray in your heart as if it were your own prayer, talking to God yourself. But pray something like this. Father God, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I know that I've made mistakes. I know that I've done wrong. And I know I've sinned against you but thank you so much that a sacrifice was made, that you sent Jesus to be the lamb, to sacrifice for my sins. I believe it by faith. And I, I thank you so much that everything I've ever done and never will do will be covered. But Lord, I pray that now as I walk forward, I wouldn't take advantage of your grace, that I would respond in thankfulness, that I would respond in worship, And so I give my life to you. Help me from this day forward. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.